0: We live inside a dream. No time for the old in and out love. I've just come to record a podcast. Hello and welcome to (laughs) Stan and Dave Need Wedding Dates with your two favorite geeks who like fuck. I've fucked this intro up twice already. My name's Eric (laughs) (laughs) Keppel,
1: And my name is Jeremy Schmidt and I'm full of milk and ready to talk.
0: (laughs) You know, I always do this and I could very well not do it, but I, I for some reason I do it all the time. I eat like a large meal before we record all the mm-hmm. time. And uh man, I just I ate like so much chili like moments ago.
1: Oh so my you, gosh. So you're
0: going to be listening to like a man <laughs> who's just filled filled with like pinto beans talking <laughs> talking about Stanley Kubrick <laughs> for an hour. So uh <laughs>
1: welcome a man, yeah a man who's just filthy rotten filthy with pinto beans coming out of his ears <laughs> folks he's just uh he's a fart machine and no one can stop him i, I don't know yeah. if there's a um a right way to, to to have a clockwork orange discussion uh but i know that you're doing the wrong thing that's all i know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah you're you're probably right you're probably right <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this is a Stanley Kubrick and David Lynch podcast. Today we're talking about Stanley Kubrick. We are working our way chronologically and we have uh, reached a clockwork orange. Uh, probably the most lighthearted Kubrick movie, I would have <laughs> oh I to pick. Oh my God.
1: <laughs> um,
0: so, uh, yeah, we also, real quick, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy. Uh, we typically have different tiers where you can, uh, listen to weekly bonus episodes and, uh, request episodes, uh, movies for us to do episodes on and shit like that. Right now we're doing a pandemic special through May, uh, which is $1 and you get access to those bonus episodes. Uh, definitely would love it if people would, uh, take advantage of that cause you get to check out, uh, sort of. What we do on the Patreon, which is very laid back, it's much different than this, and uh, it's uh, it's a fun time. It's a good time over there. We're watching Tales from the Crypt episodes. Uh, we're talking about '90s comedy movies, conspiracy theories. Um, we're both bu- buck naked during the recordings of of the pod Patreon episodes as well.
1: Mm, hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, with, uh, as as opposed to during the regular episodes when we're both wearing our diapers.
1: That's right. Yeah, I mean, I I gotta say it's it's getting pretty hot here in sunny Los Angeles. So uh, I'm wearing two diapers, one for my bottom and one for my head, Eric. It's just uh, so much sweat. I gotta I gotta soak it up <laughs> somehow.
0: Yeah, you gotta soak it up somehow. Um, you know, I think. You know people always talk about like oh man that person like like you're born in diapers and you die in diapers. Oh sure. I can't wait until I'm wearing diapers again and it's just like okay for me to do. <laughs> can't yeah. wait for it. At that
1: it. point it's going to be okay for you to do pretty much just about anything. So it's like it's like what what is the point of being young one might ask. I I don't even know. It just seems like when you're old everything's great.
0: Yeah. Exactly, uh, especially right now, Jeremy. Being old sounds great right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. No,
0: it doesn't. Uh, oh boy. So, Jeremy, I was thinking about today. I was actually thinking about uh, my history with this movie because this is the first Kubrick movie I've seen, and uh, I was just wondering uh, what your what your history is with A Clockwork Orange*. When'd you first see this bad boy?
1: I man. I'm trying to remember the first time I saw it. It's been so long. I guess I must have seen it at a friend's house or something. I remember this from A Clockwork Orange growing up. The legend was that it was a banned movie. It was rated X and it was banned. And there was no... It was a cursed movie also. It's too fucked up for anyone to ever see. And then I remember like going into a blockbuster and just seeing it on the shelf and being like, Whoa... That's fucked up. Yeah. How did it get in here? How did that movie even get in this building if it's banned? Um, it was just all schoolyard talk, Eric. You know, a lot, there was a lot of rumors going around about films. We should do an episode about like, quote unquote, banned films, like films that were too fucked up to, for our eyes growing up. Like it, I remember like kids at school would say like Gummo was like a haunted movie mm. and to never mm. watch it. Uh, that like people would rent the movie or buy it and they would try to throw it away and it would just end up on their shelf again, like stuff like that. So this was definitely one of those movies though, that was just really blown out of proportion by all of the, the publicity and the, and the, I guess here, like, Conjecture, word of mouth going around about the film, and keep in mind we're talking two thousand two at the time when I'm hearing all this, so it's like a good forty years later uh, from when the film released. So yeah, I guess I just heard, you know, I had he- I had heard all these things about the movie. I finally go go see it, and of course it- it's a. It's a pretty fucked up movie from 1971 that totally doesn't, can't possibly deliver on all of the ways it's so filthy and wrong and insane. Mm. When you finally actually sit down and watch it, you know, you're so ready for the, to watch the most fucked up thing in, I'm sorry for saying the F word so much in this podcast already, but hey, it's a clockwork orange, right? (laughs) It's gonna, we're about to get (laughs) filthy, but no, I mean, it's... You hear all these things about it, and then when you finally go to watch it, you're like, "It's pretty tame by even today's standards." I think, like the the thing that I think this film sh- is mostly remembered for, and should probably be mostly remembered for, is the th- and the thing that does kind of set it apart is the is the rape scene, which we will probably go in and talk about in great detail when we get to that part of it. We, there's no real shine away from it. There's a there's a pretty grotesque like. Uh, A ra- uh, rape scene. Of course, you don't see anything like. Uh, there's not even. You don't even see. You don't even see simulation of of the event. You see kind of the before it's going to happen, and then it's implied that the thing happened. And I think that that is probably the most messed up, quote unquote, messed up part of the the film. But then, af- you know, after that, it's just like. I mean. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it's good old cheeky fun. After that, I mean, like, the movie to me is uh, it's kind of a, a blast. I think it's it's, yeah, it's it's very quirky and weird. And I mean, I'm sure we'll get into all this stuff, well, we when we talk about the episode. But I guess upon my first viewing, I just remember being underwhelmed by how I wasn't that affected by it. Um, what about you, Eric?
0: Okay. Yeah, this is uh this is one of the movies. You know, when I was uh sixteen, I got my driver's license and I uh, drove every week. I dri- I would drive sometimes multiple times a week to the to the blockbuster. Oh yeah, uh, in my area, and uh, my buddy, two people worked there that I saw frequently. One was just like like just like a very hot lady that I, I think she was like in college or something. And I would always, when she was working, I'd always try and I would always end up renting like movies like this where like, <laughs> I seemed like, like a film buff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you want to like, look cool. You want to look cool. Yeah. 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 And then my friend Nate who, uh, recommend he's he's like the guy at the video store that you like people of our generation sometimes have, or the record store who like, you talk to them about, like, music and movies you like, and they recommend you, like, good shit. Like, he, the, the reason I saw The mach- the Machinist for the first time was because of Nate. Nice. Uh, I think he recommended this movie. But, yeah, I definitely remember, uh, I remember seeing this one, like, the VHS cover for this, like, a lot when I was a kid, and always being intrigued by it, and kind of, like, hearing this, like, lore around it, um, that it was sort of this, like, uh, sort of like taboo movie right. that like I maybe I shouldn't see and I, I remember watching it when I was uh 16 and I I liked I definitely liked it and I think I liked it more so like I, I, I don't know if I really got what it was about sure, at the time sure. I think maybe I did because it's <laughs> watching it now I was like I was like man it actually is really straightforward with, <laughs> yeah. there's no like <laughs> hidden meaning here right yeah but uh you know, when I watched it as a teenager, I was just like, damn, I'm seeing stuff that I've like never seen before. And it feels like wrong and like weird. Oh, interesting. In, like, so you were, way.
1: you felt like a little, a little bit like it was challenging sort of your senses, your sensibilities. It was kind of pushing the envelope. You felt like that oh, when you yeah. watched it? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I definitely felt that way visually. Like I definitely felt like you know seeing the milk bar, and just seeing the sets, and definitely when you get to the eyes, you know when he's got his eyes glued open, Mm. you know those are things that I had never seen in film and would never see again in film. They're they're like very striking images. They're very unique to this movie. But as far as content, I I I did not see it when I was sixteen. I saw it more like when I was like nineteen or something. So or eighteen, so it was like a li- I think that makes a little bit of difference. Like I was a little bit more like I had seen all the fucked up Tarantino shit. You know what I mean? Like I, I at this point I'd you know you watch Pulp Fiction and like there's a pretty there's a... I I would say it's a it's a more gruesome uh because uh, I don't want to say the R word over and over. We'll just say R <laughs> the hard R. There's a more gruesome hard R scene in in that. So. By the time I saw this, I was kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 okay, cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, this is definitely a rated R movie, but I, you know, it being rated X, I thought, was just so strange to me. I don't know. Did it, did it make sense to you at the time? You were like, you were like, yeah, that's, that's fucked up.
0: Yeah, it was definitely like the most fucked up thing I'd seen up to that point, I think, probably. Mm. Um... But yeah, I, I don't know. I've I've gone back to this movie many times. Actually, this recent rewatch has been like, it's been like the longest gap in time since I'd seen it. So I was pretty excited. But um, I have, uh, we'll talk about it, but I have like a little bit of a different sort of uh, opinion of it, actually. Oh, awesome. Which I'm excited to get into. But uh, So this is a 1971 film uh, directed and adapted by Kubrick based on the novel uh, by Anthony Burgess. I think it's, might technically be a novella. I can't remember, but it's... uh, I I started, you know, I've been trying to read as much of the source material for this podcast Mm -hmm. as I can. Uh, I got about halfway through the novel, um, and Anthony Burgess is like, as, like, a writer, you should check it out and just, like, see, like, how... uh, And as a Kubrick fan, just check it out to see, like, how Kubrick really, like was really faithful to like the story and even like the tone like Burgess makes up this like whole weird like dialect that Alex has that uh Kubrick used a lot of in the film Hmm. and the novel was like uh if you're listening to this in the future this is like coronavirus times and I was uh (laughs) listening to this novel I was listening to uh an audiobook of it and it's uh It's through the perspective of Alex. So you're like in Alex's brain and you are listening to this kid who like rapes and like beats people up for fun. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't, I can't like, it just got to a point where I was like dreading like getting into the mindset of like continuing the story, especially since I'd already like seen the movie. But the one main difference that I uh, learned about Actually, in the in the forward of the of the book, Anthony Burgess uh, writes this sort of like essay about how he's actually like he's not uh, super uh, pumped about this being like one of the one work of his that he's known for. Right. Um, he is also not super pumped on the Kubrick film because uh the adi- first of all i think he like wrote a screenplay or a version of the script that kubrick like totally didn't use any of um but also uh <laughs> kubrick's story is based on the american version of the novel and when burgess released the novel for some reason in the american one they forced him to cut out the last chapter Mm. Uh, and in that chapter, basically, what you see is Alex like going back out into the world, and he just basically becomes like a normal, like upstanding citizen, like good guy kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and and Burgess Burgess is thinks that that is like necessary for like the story to be a story. Uh, he talks he talks about like without that part, Kubrick's like the story is. Just a fable rather than Like an actual story because you don't see this Character like go through this transformation It's just kind of like left open Ended in in The American version or in, in Kubrick's film Yeah uh, so there's that But uh, yeah I don't know The book the book is uh, it's Interesting I will say it's like very Interesting how faithful Kubrick was To uh, the At least the first half that I Read yeah because he's kind of notoriously Not faithful to books
1: I mean, from what I can, from what I'm reading, it seems like, first of all, this was Kubrick's only film where he alone wrote the screenplay. Now, whether that's true or not, I actually don't know. But he's the sole credit for the screenplay of *A Clockwork mm. Orange*, which is rare. I mean, you know that it's a, that's rare for him. He usually employs like a oh, hundred men or more <laughs> to write a screenplay and uses none of it. Thousands of monkeys on
0: typewriters. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, the second thing is that, yeah, from everything I'm hearing, it looks like this is definitively the most faithful adaptation he ever made into a film. Oh, yeah. All the rest of his films, he took incredible liberties with the source material, but this one he stayed very true, ex- I guess, except minus that ending, which I-, I don't think that the ending is ambiguous. I think it's very clear what happens in the end. Um but i also think that for kubrick's movie version of this the point he's trying to make is a little bit different than i think what burgess's point is in his book yeah and yeah uh,
0: burgess was like a christian man like this was like almost like a work of like christian fiction basically
1: well it's weird cuz he's he's Burgess writes, like, dystopian satire. Like, that's kind of like his bag, which is, like, a weird... That's a weird thing for a Christian man. That's a weird genre for a Christian man to, like, swim in, I guess. But, you know, A Clockwork Orange is, like... I I think we should also mention this, because I guess... I mean, it matters, for sure. This is inspired by the real-life version of this that happened to his wife. So... Uh, when he was stationed off in the war at some point um, so like four US expats came in and assaulted, robbed and basically raped his pregnant wife while he was gone and, they, and because of that they lost the baby and this book was written basically because of that. So you know as much as I'm all about like Kubrick, in being an artist and you know, artist liberties and if you're adapting something, it doesn't have to be exactly like the work. Like I feel incredibly bad for Burgess. like, and it doesn't it doesn't make me feel excited that he wasn't happy about the direction of the film since what happened to him was so personal, you know, the thing the thing that led to him writing this book in the first place. So, just imagine if that was, you know, that's thats what happened to you. And then you see the film adaptation and they got it all wrong. They got the point of it all wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like, oh, man, that that hurts. I will say that I do like this film. I do like the ending of this film a lot. I don't know if I'd love the ending of the book as much. Um, and you know, and this is more word on the street stuff, but from everyone I've talked to, they pretty much say that this is a, this is also another case where the book is very good, but the film is, you know, it's a Kubrick film. It's probably better than the book, (laughs) Uh, unfortunately for the shining and this and every other movie Kubrick made Lolita.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, clockwork orange, uh filmed mostly on location in london uh so this is another one that uh kubrick didn't didn't leave uh england for a whole lot i think next next uh two episodes from now when we talk about barry linden is when i think they filmed a lot of that in ireland or uh yeah i think ireland oh really um, that's so
1: funny because it's like the one that's like a film that take definitely takes place in england right yeah 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 <laughs>
0: Uh, so I'm excited for that by the way. I still have not seen Barry Lyndon. Uh, in the U.S., Clockwork Orange was given an X rating uh, in its initial release. Kubrick later replaced approximately 30 seconds of sexually explicit footage from two scenes with less explicit action to obtain an R rating. Uh, let's see here. Uh, the film. Uh it was rated it was given a C rating which means condemned <laughs> by the National Catholic Office for Motion Pictures. Wow. Uh which forbade Roman Catholics from seeing the film. Yeah. Uh I'm trying to find the part the 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 bit about uh him basically withdrawing it from although it was passed uncut for uk cinemas in 1971 british authorities considered the sexual violence in the film to be extreme uh in march of 72 during the trial of a 14 year old male accused of manslaughter of a classmate the prosecutor referred to a clockwork orange suggesting that the film had a macabre macabre yeah macabre uh relevance uh to the case the film was also linked to the murder of an elderly vagrant by a 16 year old boy yeah. in buckinghamshire yeah and, uh, and also some of, pleaded guilty
1: and some of these are cases where i'm reading here at least this is not, uh, according to imdb that they're copycat crimes so it's not just yeah that they're that like politicians are linking them which is always the case right with a controversial film they'll find a way to make it about the film rather than the person unrelated but apparently these kids were like singing in like the singing in the rain and wearing alex's uniform when they were doing the crimes so it's like it's like it is one step beyond just oh doom is the reason why columbine happened or something you know it's like oh no this is like directly uh which is not not to say that It's a film's fault that these people did this. It is just interesting to note that that is unusual. Yes.
0: Uh, Kubrick's wife, uh, Christiane, Christiane, I don't know how to say it. Christiane? Christiane, Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. Has said that the family received death threats Mm -hmm. uh, and had protesters outside the home. Uh, The film was ultimately withdrawn from British release in 73 uh, at the request of Kubrick. So, uh, yeah. And uh, Kubrick's first cut was four hours long. I think, like, that's li- <laughs> that's one thing I've noticed, one similarity with Lynch and Kubrick is every single movie in the trivia, it's like, oh, yeah, the original cut was, like, four hours.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Eh, they, oh, uh, uh, there's some other interesting trivia bits I don't know if you're going to get to, but did you read the one where Stanley Kubrick had his assistant destroy all of the unused footage for Clockwork Orange? I saw that. Yeah, isn't that insane? That's why. <laughs> yeah. I wonder why. I guess maybe because it was more explicit stuff. He just didn't want getting out there.
0: I yeah. I don't know. I do not know. But uh, that's interesting. Um, yeah, there's some other. I don't know. Is there anything else you wanna? I guess it's interesting sort of the shit that Malcolm McDowell went through. Uh, He scratched corneas from, I'm sure you can guess, the scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also suffered cracked ribs during the filming of the Humiliation uh, stage show. Yeah. So, and also Kubrick, I don't know, you know more about this than me, I think. Wasn't Kubrick just like, uh, not maybe not great to
1: McDowell. Oh, he was he was a nightmare process. to Malcolm McDowell, and I think a, a lot of this is information I'm getting from the documentary "A Life in Pictures," where you know that's a that's a documentary that is clearly showing the masterful life. Of Stanley Kubrick and very pro Kubrick documentary. And even in that documentary, it still looks really bad where McDowell recounts like basically working with Kubrick for months and months and months at a time on the character of Alex and the book and like going through the book, like literally going through the book, like page by page. And, kind of being like, how could we do this part of it? How would you want to do this part if we were going to do this part? And then they would take breaks and play ping pong and play chess and talk and have dinner and Kubrick. And I don't know why Kubrick did this as maybe some sort of loyalty to the studio system. He ended up cutting from McDowell's pay every moment that they weren't working on the character. (laughs) God. so imagine if you just thought like okay i worked like uh, all day with kubrick you know i was at his house yeah. and we were working on this character and then we played ping pong for a few hours and then we went back to it I, apparently kubrick just slashed any moment they weren't working on it which is like that I, that's fucked up by even today's working standards like no one expects that you're not going to take breaks <laughs> like like yeah. you get paid for breaks in in a in any kind of reasonable, I don't know. Anyways, but uh yeah, no, he wasn't great. And like, you could say that this is, this film, a meta way of, of, of watching the film is how much can we torture the actor, Malcolm McDowell? Like they both, all of the stuff you're seeing on screen is, is real to the point where he almost drowned in the, in the waterboarding scene.
0: Like God, yeah, that is one one long one whole take, isn't it? It
1: is one whole take. And like, yeah, he Jeez almost fucking Christ. drowned him. It's like it it it's kind of like insane. It, it yeah. it's it's like uh I, I feel like this and the Shelly Duval stuff are the two that you could point to and were like Kubrick really like fucking lost it. Like what is it what was his problem? <laughs> like you, you you're not good enough at making a movie where you could just cheat the water scene. Like how like you can't get a dummy. Like, why did you need, why did you need to do that? That way I, is a question. But you know, then you look at the, what the product and you're like, well, these are pretty good movies. I don't know. Um, yeah. I'm the, Alec. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know this about me already that i'm i love stanley cooper he's probably my favorite director of all time but i actively do not support like a lot of so like some of a lot of his choices that he made right um yeah. as a as a director and uh and this is like the stuff that i'm that i'm talking about where this is like this is like college freshman stuff that you really like you know when you're like oh man how cool would it be to be so manipulative that you could get any performance you wanted out of anyone and then like the more you grow up you realize like films about collaboration this is like an insane megalomaniac drunk with power you know basically taking advantage of people and like i just i just you know this stuff never like does not sit well with me at at this point in time but i but again you know it's not that i don't like the film or don't like you know the the body of work in general it's just it's just these are things i used to think were cool and i no longer think are cool now (laughs) it's like you gotta you gotta be nice to your actors my man
0: (laughs) yeah that's the one thing about kubrick that i've learned through um reading about him is uh you know, as as uh, someone who's uh, pretty passionate about like labor rights and stuff like that, <laughs> right, it's yeah. a little hard to hard to reconcile with with some of the stuff. I mean, you know, just like that the book. I finally finished the book uh, about that his assistant wrote, and it's like, man, this guy was working like twenty hour days sometimes, and was like, could barely see his family. And, like, Kubrick would, like, never, like, wouldn't give him a break. But at the same time, he, like, admired Kubrick so much and, like, really loved working with him. It's, like, this really bizarre, he he was, uh I think he was, like, a manipulative man in a way Mm -hmm. that's, like, I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. Like, I do think that he was not good to people that worked for him a lot. Some of the, at least some of the times, from what I've read, um, but I think he was also had this sort of like charm to him, and yes, obviously he's like a fucking like brilliant, uh, you know, artist that that everyone wants to work with. So I, I guess they're willing to put up with it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting. It's a very interesting thing because I mean that's another thing that we've discussed about him and Lynch is like Lynch is kind of the other side of the coin. It's right. Like, you know, he's, I mean, no one has anything bad to say about being directed by David Lynch. In fact, David Lynch, more than anyone I've ever heard of, has been able to get actors to do things like, you know, like stuff that Cheryl Lee does in Fire Walk With Me, where she's just like, I've heard her talk in, in an interview, she was like, like no one else could have gotten me to do stuff like that, like that on, on camera. It's just like, David Lynch just has this sort of like, way of making you feel like it's it's all going to be okay and it's all for like the sake of this sort of like bigger bigger thing where kubrick uh but they're all but they're both very secretive about what it is like they're going for too in a way it's just like two completely different approaches i guess well
1: yeah and if you look at how both of them started too like David Lynch has collaboration in his bones. Like, his favorite thing is like, let's work on a film for seven years where we all live in the same place where we're shooting. Like, that's a racer head, you know? Yeah. Uh, Kubrick's vibe is, it reminds me a lot more of Alfred Hitchcock, where they both were, seemed like men who elevated themselves above the process like they didn't consider they considered themselves to be the iconoclast the artists the auteurs and the people working for them were just that they were beneath them working for them famously Hitchcock wouldn't really be on set he'd kind of he'd be in a little a little trailer or whatever like a little uh, uh, shaded uh, air-conditioned room while people were out there sweating and working on his films like he And Kubrick is is much the same way, where you get the sense that it's the difference between coming up in the Hollywood system or the studio system versus coming up in the you know nose to the grindstone indie system where everyone's got to pitch in and everyone's as is super important, you know. And I think Mm. Kubrick to me is kind of got this old school vibe. They kind of remind me of each other, where they just think actors are bullshit and not worth money (laughs) like they like Hitchcock has gone on record saying like he just wishes he didn't have to pay actors because he didn't think they were worth it like it's crazy that people like Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant worked for him they just loved him so much but it's because you know like they but but Hitchcock didn't love them back you know in the same way like he thought they were yeah they were beneath it um and I and I wonder if Kubrick kind of felt very similarly where you know, actors were just pawns. Um, I don't know, you know, but definitely I, that's not to say that nobody liked working with Kubrick. Everybody liked working with Kubrick. Like even Malcolm McDowell gladly did that documentary. He definitely said what was wrong with their relationship, but he also freely just admitted like how much, you know, how much of a genius Kubrick is. I I don't know what that is. I I don't know, you know, is that part of the ch- charisma? I don't I don't know. But you know, you definitely don't have a lot of people on record being like I absolutely fucking hated this manipulative psychopath. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's not like uh yeah, most people rec- most people like the Lynch thing do recount even Shelley Duvall recounts working on The Shining as being a overall positive experience dis- despite also, freely admitting that it was a tortured experience. So, I don't know, man. Maybe actors are a little fucked up too, huh? <laughs> you know, I'm starting to think that. <laughs> to...
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's dive into the let's dive into the plot, shall we? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in futuristic Britain. Alex Delarge is the leader of a gang of drugs. Uh, George, Dim, and Pete. Dim is a funny. Dim's like a funny character in the in the book. By the way, oh, cool. He's, he's funny in the movie too. But uh, it's just funny. I just like the idea of like a big dumb oaf named Dim. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, one night after getting intoxicated on drug laden milk plus, uh, they <laughs> engage in an evening of ultra violence, uh, which includes a fight with a rival gang. Uh, so. I don't know, a lot a lot goes on. I think we open with them in the milk bar, right?
1: And they... Uh, yeah, iconic intro, yes. right? It is a w- super wide close. Sorry, I, sh- I should have reversed that. It's a super close wide shot on Malcolm McDowell's face. He's wearing some sort of makeup, right? Some sort of weird eyeliner or like, uh, yeah. And it's a slow pull out into the milk bar and it's, it's his voiceover and he's kind of setting you up for what you're about to see. It's incredibly dark. It's incredibly, uh, like, uh, striking and gorgeous. Uh, I don't know, Eric, uh, here's another episode idea I I had while watching this. We got to do an episode about like, like what are the most crazy versions of the future we thought like they (laughs) might look like 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 that a clockwork oranges like idea of what the future was going to be is so insane to me it might be this might be the most insane like setting of any movie like how would you describe Uh, the the how would you describe the landscape of the future of a clockwork orange
0: (laughs) i mean to be honest with you I uh like this is from the seventies. Yeah. I think when I was watching this as a teenager, I don't even know if I picked up on this was in the future, and I just thought that this was like Britain <laughs> in the <70s. laughs> seventies. I'm like, I don't know. I was born in '89. Like, That's so who fucking awesome. knows? I guess the weirdest part is like the furniture, but <laughs> I don't know. The seventies.
1: The weirdest part are, like the the naked women. milk dispensers yeah yeah well it's you're right though because like there isn't anything super there are a couple of 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 subtle i would call them subtle details that clue you into that this is definitely the future Now, i guess we'll get to them when we get to them but i think the milk bar is one of them where it's like what is this place when did we start giving out when was when when did milk become this desirable and like when did we start putting drugs in it you know there's a lot of questions that you have right away and uh yeah because once they leave the milk bar and they do their ultra violence uh run it it does just look like a post-apocalyptic kind of world right right yeah
0: yeah um yeah, I don't know. It's 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 uh it's strange. I I wonder if he, I wonder if this is like Kubrick's like earnest like view of what things were going to eventually be like. I, I, don't, I
1: don't have any idea. It, it's super weird. I it's also said a post apocalyptic, and I don't mean like in a Mad Max way. I mean like it it just kind of looks like empty streets, sort of, but. We're also seeing like very hyper specific vignettes, so it's like when when they beat up Mm. the old guy, for example, the old homeless man, that that could just be you're right, 1970s alleyway in in London or something. Like that doesn't look that doesn't look strike like particularly futuristic or or different than anything else it doesn't there's no there's no like look to it it doesn't have it doesn't have a uh it doesn't resemble anything it doesn't have like a per, you know any particulars or anything it's just like it's like a big almost like uh what would you call it like a big like spotlight it's like a scene that's like lit with like a giant spotlight behind them as they're doing the scene kind of in a tunnel or something it's like super weird
0: yeah yeah it is odd um so, they drive uh, to the country, uh, to the country home of writer F. Alexander. And the and car. The so,
1: point. what do you think of the car? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, the car is like a little, like...
1: Clown car. <laughs> like... <laughs>
0: yeah (laughs) yeah it it looks like a clown car and
1: they're all like in it like all squished in that little car and they're going like a million miles an hour it's it's that to me looked a little futuristic like maybe in the future cars are small I, i don't know
0: yeah i don't know uh but they beat this writer guy uh to the point of crippling him for life and then alex uh uh, uh rapes Alexander's wife. I don't like saying that. I, I gotta say I don't like I know that's what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say assault he assaults uh Alexander's wife. You gotta say hard R, Eric. You hard say, R.
1: Hard R, yeah. yeah. I no, I said it like Man. three times at the beginning of this episode and I still feel awful. <laughs> like yeah, just having this is said coming
0: them. off of the Fire Walk With Me episode. Right. We're we gotta get you know, we'll lighten it up with some Lost Highway next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next day, while taunt from school, Alex is approached by his probation truant. officer, PR truant Deltoid. Truant from school. Uh, Tru- yeah, truant, mm-hmm. uh, who is aware of Alex's activities and cautions him. Uh so- forgot the part about where he, like, punches Alex in the balls and, like, like sits down on the bed next to him. That's, that's is, like, the scene. It's odd, yeah, yeah. So, no, I'm saying I forgot that that part. Oh, existed. right, That's yeah,
1: like, yeah. Really weird. It's it's weird. It's 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 like a a British part. It's like a dark. How would you? I'm trying to describe this in a way that like makes sense. It it there is like a comedic something. Uh, it's like a British comedy kind of like it's like a weird British comedy sort of like the tone of it where it's like cheeky britishisms uh, where this truant officer comes in and grabs a student by the balls at some point like it's like and and they're saying hilarious quote unquote hilarious stuff but like the tone of it is just so wild it's it's like uh yeah. almost like a Monty Python or you know something Rowan Atkinson might do but the the backdrop is of course ultra violence. I think so. This this whole I would say that we're about thirty minutes into the film at this point when we've seen all of this stuff already happening go by. Do we want to talk about the the scene? Is this did he already walk through that that like scene where he there is like records and stuff? It's like a weird like vendors area where no that's
0: coming uh that's coming up I think okay. Cool. Uh, with the girls, the girls at the record store.
1: Yeah, I think that's. I think that's, hap- yeah, that's That happens out. before his truant officer. I think that's like the last thing that happens, and the truant officer comes.
0: Oh, okay. Comes uh, out, right? Yeah. So he. Uh, yeah. So that's something in the book that uh, uh, is basically. So in the book, the Alex is fifteen, I think, or something—fifteen or sixteen. Uh, he's obviously older in the movie. Yeah. So I didn't even book,
1: get that that was a truant officer. I I didn't even know what that guy was. I guess I thought he was a parole yeah. officer, because yeah. Alex l- clearly looks like he's a young adult,
0: right? In in the in the book, the girls at the record store. First of all, in the book, that scene uh, that is done to like the like f- sped up like racing music, <laughs> Beethoven uh, scene yeah. with the girls. The orgy scene is actually like. Uh, pretty like disgusting, like assault oh, in the book, wow. and uh, that's something that people ask Kubrick a lot about. I don't remember what his response was about it, but um, basically, uh, like why and he, those girls? And do the they ask him like book, why he
1: toned it down?
0: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. and uh, also in the book, he, the girls are like. Like ten, they're like really young. Oh my god! Uh, It's pretty. It's pretty gross. The book is pretty like it's. It's rough. It's. It's. uh, There's some rough stuff in there. Anyway, uh, Alex's drugs express discontent with petty crime and want more equal equality and high yield thefts. But Alex asserts his authority by attacking them. Yeah.
1: He's, he hits uh, one of them with his cane right in the crotch, <laughs> and it's <yeah>. terrible looking. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I love this scene. This is a good scene, though. Yeah. Uh, it looks cool. Uh, later, Alex invades the home of a wealthy cat lady and bludgeons her with a, pla- a phallic sculpture while his droogs remain outside. Uh, On hearing sirens Alex tries to flee But Dim smashes a bottle in his face Stunning him And leaving him to be arrested Mm -hmm. Uh, With Alex in custody Deltoid gloats that the cat lady died Making Alex a murderer He is sentenced to 14 years in prison
1: Which I guess would make sense If he was a child (laughs) (laughs) Like I guess Children when they kill somebody Don't go to prison for the rest of their lives It's just a long super long time, huh yeah, um yeah that, I don't know. so what do you I mean, think of that scene the the uh the Alex with the big penis scene it's a
0: good it's it's a good scene it's it's uh you know it's even seeing it for probably like the fifth time it's like pretty suspenseful and and you know fucked up and uh pretty crazy it's like it's weird because you i don't know i don't i don't know it's like uh i guess it's like this weird thing where like this is our character he's not a protagonist but he's like the main character and he gets himself into this pickle but he's like a terrible person and you're kind of like man like i don't know (laughs) like it's good that he's like I don't know. It's it's like a weird thing emotionally. You're like...
1: Yeah. He's definitely an anti-hero for sure. Yes. I would also yeah. say though, and this is uncomfortable to admit, but it's not my fault. It's how the character's being portrayed. He is very charming. It's like you want to see what happens to him because you like Alex. Like that's, that is a weird thing yeah. to think, right? Like after having seen what he's done... You kinda you're like in you're like invested, I guess, in the character. Like and that is sort of I don't know I don't know what you have to reckon to <laughs> understand that or admit that, but like that is what keeps you invested in, in a Clockwork Orange has to be Malcolm McDowell. It has to be Alex because without them nailing him, this film would fall apart. Like, he carries the movie. So, it's like... Yeah. It's super... It is a super weird thing to think about. But, yeah, like, I, like the character of Alex is somebody that you are invested in his journey, at least. You may not relate to him and you may not like what he's doing, but you definitely... I, I think the film would... Support Presuppose that you definitely think he's funny And charming and want to stick with This guy to the end and see kind of what His journey is going to be like and what happens to him I mean how did you feel about the character Of Alex
0: I mean there's Some it's you know he Is like uh, He's you like you like to watch Him you want to like see what happens to him I Guess is like there is I guess yeah there is like a weird like Fucked up charm to him uh where you're like i mean obvious like a person like this in real life is just like uh horrible and and then uh no good and i would hate them but like <laughs> you know obviously i could separate that from a character yeah. in a movie but why? Uh, what does he it, have
1: and, though that makes you like him you know what i mean like what is it I...
0: just like a total lack of care for anything <laughs> I at all. Think that's and it. not even not even not even that but like It just like an absolute urge to just do the worst possible things. Yeah, I also think not give a fuck.
1: I also think it helps that Kubrick portrays this world as a bit of a cartoon, a little bit. Like even in the hard R scene, I would say that. Yeah, the content is on paper incredibly uh, offensive and a nightmarish, but when you see it portrayed, you're like oh, this is a little bit more like a cartoon. Like, everything in this world doesn't even seem... The stakes don't even seem very high for the murder because it seems like maybe in this world, murders happen all the time. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Like, there isn't... Like, it's not like when you see a murder in the film... uh, uh, I'm on the spot, but like a, a, a more grounded movie where, uh, you know, a Fruitville station or something where it's like, Oh fuck. Like that, a real, like a murder happened and the, the outcome of this will be disastrous. No, this is like a little bit more like a cartoon. I think a clockwork orange to me feels like uh, everything is so heightened and weird. So it's like, it's it's like hard for you to emotionally connect with the crimes that are happening. I don't know if that mm. makes sense, but yeah, I don't know.
0: It's, I, yeah, there's, you know, you, he's kind of a compelling, um, I don't know, whatever the word is for like, you just like, uh, how do you just can't stop watching him even though, you know, he's just like reprehensibly a piece of shit. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, Two years into the sentence, Alex eagerly takes up an offer to be a test subject for the Minister of the Interior's new Ludovico Ludovico technique, an experimental aversion therapy for rehabilitating criminals within two weeks. Uh, Alex is strapped to a chair. His eyes are clamped open, and he is injected with drugs. Uh, He is then forced to watch films of sex and violence, some of which are accompanied by music of his favorite composer. Uh the old Ludwig Ludwig
1: van Yeah is uh, is Ludovico a, a play on words with Ludwig Lud, Ludwig van Oh I wonder I, wonder. I don't know Huh It's a good
0: question um, also, I do love, there's, uh I love that poster of Be- Ludwig van Beethoven in his room. by the way. <laughs> yeah. There's like a, there's like a scene where you see him like leave his room and it just stays on that <laughs> Beethoven's grumpy face for a moment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's very funny.. Yeah. Uh, Alex becomes nauseated by the films and fearing uh, the te- technique will make him sick upon hearing Beethoven begs for an end to the treatment. Yeah.
1: What do you think of this? What do you think of this whole sequence?
0: It's pretty iconic. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's what I think of when I when I think of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the same for a lot of people, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it's it, it worked for me again this time. It's 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 pretty crazy. Um, I can't imagine be <laughs> this happening. <laughs> having to, me. to do would, that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think I think uh, for some reason, to me, the most disturbing part is the eyedroppers. Even though the, they're putting eyedroppers in his eyes to make his eyes feel better, it it's still like to me is the thing that irritates me the most.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it's like it would be like like Chinese water torture. I know, I
1: know. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, I love uh, all the things he's saying while he's being. Like, he's still being a nasty little cheeky bastard the whole time, but he's also, like, you can you can feel him slowly start to give in, and he's, like, yeah, he's just saying a lot of stuff that I think is very funny, like, while he's being tortured. Um, yeah. Before he starts, obviously, screaming and stuff.
0: Um, Two weeks later... Uh, no, we already... No, we didn't do that. Two weeks later, the minister demonstrates Alex's rehabilitation to a gathering of officials... Alex is unable to fight back against an actor who taunts and attacks him and becomes ill, wanting uh, sex with a topless woman. Uh, (laughs) The prison chaplain complains that Alex has been robbed of his free will. The minister asserts that the Ludovico technique will cut crime and alleviate crowding in prisons. Uh, Yeah. Interesting stuff. You know, what do you think of this idea? I guess this is more of like a philosophical right question but it is what the movie is about. Do you think that like cuz the the movie is ultimately about like if someone doesn't have the ability to do bad things are they good?
1: Right. Like if they don't even <laughs> yeah. have
0: the option of being bad, yeah. are they good?
1: It's um it's it's definitely a discussion that makes me really uncomfortable because I don't really have a great because I don't, I guess I just don't really understand enough of the science behind what this is presupposing, but I'll tell you this, like, you know, this, this could be compared to like the idea of like chemical castration or something for people who are like sexually, sexual assaulters or, or something where it's like, you take away the desire to, fornicate and that somehow you know now the criminal is no longer like the one thing that they were committing crimes over now they don't they don't have that anymore so now they're able to it's a weird it's definitely a weird uh topic it seems it like it it rubs me the wrong way obviously but it there. it's also like well if it's effective and even let's say it's um it's like, uh, consenting, you know, like, like, uh, say a sexual assaulter or rapist is willing to be chemically castrated in order to stop that behavior. Like, is it still on, is it inhuman or is it right to do? I, I mean, I, I have no idea. I I, I guess I don't yeah. know.
0: I think that's. I think that might be a little different. Um, I think Th- than this. Uh, yeah. Well, this is ex- so. almost
1: exactly like it because he doesn't want to have sex with a topless woman, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I suppose. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, it's sort of. Yeah, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. Uh, (laughs) Well, it's also like if you could, if you could also like castrate the brain from wanting to commit murder, for example. Yeah, it's like another. That would be another way of looking at it. But also, is what Kubrick is saying sort of like attacking the mental health movement too? Is it like, is this sort of a, is this like a quote unquote satire against? you know, rehabilitation in general, where the idea that you could go through a system like prison and come out the other end rehabilitated because at the end of the, well, we'll get to the end at some point, but the movie does seem to be saying that human beings are inherently evil and society tries to make you good, but deep down you're, you're, your human desires are to do evil. So I guess my question to you Eric is do you what do you believe that or do you believe humans are inherently good and it's society that sways you one way or the other?
0: Uh I think that everyone is kind of like a blank a blank uh, slate and, okay. and and it all kind of depends on uh, you know a lot of different factors uh, in the way that someone is raised and what they what they
1: experience throughout their life yeah so you're and, more of uh, a uh, full metal jacket kind of guy because that's <laughs> that's <laughs> sure. the uh, I, I, I do I heard a I read a great essay once that explained a clockwork orange and a full metal jacket as being too dichotomous ideas of the human experience where ah. this film is yeah. about, yeah, about how humans are evil. Society makes you bad. And Full Metal Jacket is about how humans start out good. And the war machine and society makes you into a killer. Hmm. So it's, it's basically the the opposite take. Um,
0: yeah. It's, it's an interesting thing to argue. Cause it's like, you know, uh, obviously, you don't want someone out there doing the things that Alex is doing. And if you like are arguing that like, you know, this is wrong or whatever, then the argument from the other side is like, well, then you are, you know, in favor of people like Alex existing. You know what I mean? It's right. like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kinda like a, it's kind of like, a I don't know. I think I was trying to figure out like, what are Kubrick's actual, like, like what is he, believe about this like is he just kind of like presenting it um and making sort of the people watching the film think about it or like <laughs> i couldn't make out like whether or not he uh himself actually like thinks that this is good or bad or what i um, I, think, I guess yeah. i'm sort of leaning towards bad like he thinks that you know uh he's kubrick i've and i maybe i'm wrong about this but i'm kind of gathering that he's maybe it was more of like sort of like a libertarian kind of guy
1: (laughs) yeah all the great artists were yeah (laughs) no i don't know i i i joke yeah i i bet you it's it's a really good question actually and this film confuses me i think more or confounds me more than all the other kubrick movies because it really does have it's it goes back and forth the whole movie is every sequence it goes back and forth right we're like Like, at this point in the movie that we're literally talking about right now, I would say, I definitely think Kubrick is saying, this is a joke. This is a farce. Like, you should Mm -hmm. definitely not be exposing people to ultra-violent images in order to, like, somehow dissuade them or make them sick from actually committing crimes in the future. But then... Why don't we just continue on with the plot? Because then it switches back and forth a few more times. And I, I would say yes. the whole movie is about switching back and forth. And I think the whirlwind of it, to me, has always really confused me. Because I, I, I really don't know where he stands. Because the the ending is really dark. So if you're looking at the ending versus this this moment, it's it's really confusing. Because you're like, well, I guess Kubrick thinks that you know, rehabilitation like in this way is, is inhuman, but I know he's not siding with the end, which is like mm. a fucking crazy, uh, you know, no, all damn your inhibitions orgy. Like he's definitely not in favor of the Alex pre rehabilitation. You know what I mean? So it's like, it doesn't, it's like, to me, it it doesn't really, I never know how he, where he ends up in it, but let's continue. Uh, yeah. Alex is let out as a
0: free man only to find that, uh, the police have sold his possessions as compensation to his victims and parents have let out, uh, let out his room. Uh, Alex continues an elderly or encounters an elderly vagrant whom he attacked earlier, uh, years earlier and the vagrant and his friends attack him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alex is saved by two policemen, uh, but it's shocked to find out oh, yeah. they are his former Druids, <laughs> Dim and Georgie, who I got to say, I don't buy these guys as,
1: no. as Bobbies. No, but uh, you, do you not, though? Because it, it is sort of like, it does feel like today how like the fucking bully, redneck weirdos that you went to high school with end up being cops in your town or something. Yeah. 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 At least, you know, I'm from uh, Texas, yeah. so that does happen. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah uh they
0: drive uh him to the countryside beat him up and nearly drown him before abandoning him uh alex barely makes it to the doorstep of a nearby home before collapsing Uh,
1: it's so good
0: (laughs) it's 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 pretty it's pretty nuts Uh, alex wakes up to find himself in the home of alexander where he is being cared for by alexander's manservant julian Uh, Alexander does not recognize Alex from the previous attack, but knows of Alex uh, and the Ludovico technique from the newspapers. Uh, He sees Alex as a political weapon and prepares to present him to his colleagues. While bathing, Alex starts singing, Singing in the Rain, causing Alexander to realize that Alex was the person who assaulted him and his wife. Uh, I gotta say, not a good move by Alex.
1: Yeah, maybe don't sing the song. Yeah, what? A, yeah. <laughs> uh, also, uh, great, great face work by Patrick McGee, the uh, actor who plays Mr. Frank Alexander.
0: Oh man, yeah, yeah. he's uh, great. He reaction
1: like he's... shots from him.
0: Yeah, he's he looks like a guy who like needs
1: heart medication. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I also, I guess. They probably do say his name in the film, but I never put together that his name is also Alex. You know what I mean? Alex and Alexander.
0: Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Um, With help from his colleagues, Alexander drugs Alex and locks him in an upstairs bedroom. He then plays Beethoven's ninth loudly from the floor below. Uh, Unable to withstand the sickening pain, Alex attempts suicide by throwing himself out the window uh, this was done by. They actually threw a camera out of a window. That's oh, how they cool. This. Um, I think they put it in some type of a like contraption. So it wouldn't destroy written. itself. Yes. <laughs> nice. Um, so that's fun. But, uh, Alex wakes up in a hospital with broken bones. Uh, while being given a series of psychological tests, he finds that he no longer no ha- that he no longer has aversions to the violence and sex. Uh, the minister arrives and apologizes to Alex. He offers to take care of Alex and get him a job in return for his cooperation and his with his election campaign and public relations counteroffensive. Uh, I love. Uh, I love watching Malcolm McDowell like open his mouth for the choo-choo train yes. every time he wants another bite. Yeah, his
1: chewing it's is unreal in this, where he's just it's smacking right. his really like, jaw so hard.
0: <laughs> it's great, yeah. Uh, as a sign of goodwill, the minister brings in a stereo system playing Beethoven's ninth. Alex then contemplates violence and has vivid thoughts of sex with a woman in front of an approving crowd and thinks to himself... I was cured, all right. <laughs> and that's uh, that's uh, Clockwork Orange for you.
1: Yeah. So tell me about this. After viewing it, you had a different opinion of it than you did before.
0: Yeah. So actually, um, uh, one of my, you know, having watched a lot of Kubrick movies at this point, not one of my favorites. I got to be honest with you. It didn't like hold up in my mind as like this film that I saw when I was a teenager that like really like uh had a had an effect on me. When I watched it now, I was like coming off of 2001, which is very like you know, it's kind of cryptic and it seems very careful like every scene is like very carefully uh, concocted mm-hmm. and uh you know, not to say that a Clockwork Orange wasn't, but it it seemed like I don't know. There's like it's like more, uh, it's more cut and dry. It's like this is what this movie's about. We're kind of like throwing it in your face, uh, you know. There's some cool shots and stuff like that, but you know I don't. I don't like this character. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think you're supposed to like him, but I really like Yeah. He's n- just he's don't sucks. like existing. Yeah. I don't like <laughs> watching this character. Like I don't I don't care about this person. Uh I it it, it just didn't work on me this time. It's like not it, it's probably not even in my like top 5 Kubrick movies mm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I think I like Paths of Glory more than this. To yeah. be honest with you. I really like Paths of Glory. Um, I don't know. It's just. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's stuff that I I, I, I just don't want to look at a lot of the time. But <laughs> uh, just from like a standpoint of like Kubrick's career and what we've seen up to this point is kind of like we're coming from. Uh, I mean, I guess I I definitely like this more than Lolita. But we're coming from like *Strange Love*. And then uh, 2001, which I think are both just phenomenal films. I think this one uh, is—I don't know. There's something. There's something about it where I'm just like, it seems less like sort of like carefully made, I guess, in comparison to some other Kubrick films. And maybe I'm wrong. I, you know, I'm not. I'm not a genius. I'm just like a guy who watches a <laughs> lot of movies. But there's certain parts where I'm like, I don't know. I ju- it just it it's it's uh, it just doesn't do it for me anymore. Jeremy is 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 the honest <laughs> truth. I'm just like I'm watching the scene. Like I'm watching the scene in the where there the guys like looking up Malcolm McDowell's asshole mm-hmm. and like he's like giving him like. The stuff from his pockets, and I'm like, this is. Th- it doesn't feel like the. It it just doesn't feel like a like The Shining or something. That's yeah. like it's sort of like made with uh the precision of of mm. some other Kubrick movies, and that's that's just how I feel about it. So I don't know. What do you What are your thoughts after rewatching uh, A Clockwork Orange?
1: Oh, I mean, uh, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think we fall exactly in the exact same place after it. watching it. Yeah. To me, this film feels like a kind of hacky uh, college freshman's favorite Kubrick movie. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's a bad movie. And it definitely is a Kubrick movie. Like, it's not like, it, it's not like, uh, I don't know, like, it isn't too big of a deviation between his other films i i don't this is not even really a comment on the quality of the filmmaking it's just more like this is like tackling subjects that i think are hacky like it's just like not as interesting to me as 2001 it's not as interesting to me as the shining A clockwork orange is like it is very uh sophomoric or juvenile or whatever whatever word you want to say for like teen teen film-esque it, it just doesn't have it doesn't hold water the same way as these other films do and like it's like even on paper i like the way it's constructed i like most of the parts i like where the story ends up i like where it starts you know it's it's not really that it's just like when you see it all done you're you're kind of like left with like oh is this just like the most nihilistic thing i've ever seen <laughs> like yeah yeah <laughs> Um, Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. And I, and, and I do like, I wanted to make the comment that I think Alex is a compelling character, almost just to, almost just to like highlight how bizarre this movie is, that that character is still compelling, even though like I fucking hate him and I hate everything this film is about. And I hate everything he does in the movie. It's, it's like, it's almost like, uh, you know, filmmaking is kind of like magic a little bit where it's like magic tricks, you know, you're sleight of hand, you're like, look over here, and then you're doing something over here, you know, and, and to me, this just feels like a cheap magic trick, whereas 2001 feels like a very well constructed magic trick. Uh, This to me just feels like kind of cheap. You're like, yeah, I guess everyone's terrible and the government sucks and rehabilitation is pointless and criminals will always be criminals. And uh, everyone's looking out for their own personal gain. I guess that's the truth, but it's also like, I don't know. What is the point of film? Is it to always just show you stark, naked blanket, awful, dark truth or does film in some way have a responsibility to like help usher in a new truth or change things in any way or say hey this isn't right and maybe this is a better way to be <laughs> like the yeah. Clockwork just kind of says here's how it is suckers <laughs> and like walks away and it's like well yeah okay i guess that's how it is but I don't know. It doesn't, maybe it doesn't have to be, and maybe I'm more interested in filmmakers who don't want it to be like, like, you know, I think it's so weird watching this film after fire walk with me that (laughs) just has such like a, it deals with a lot of the same themes and it's also very dark, but also has such a more beautiful, hopeful, magical, realistic, uh, point of view, I guess. Like I never feel like David Lynch is just trying to fuck with you. Even if he's doing fucking crazy stuff, he's not just trying to fuck with you. Like he digs this shit and thinks it's cool and finds hope and meaning in it. (laughs) You know, like, uh, anyway, that's, that's how I feel. I, again, I do not think this is a bad movie and I will watch this again before I'm dead. (laughs) Like I, I, for all intents and purposes, actually like this movie. I like it better than Lolita. You know, I like it better than The Killing and any of those pre Paths of Glory films. I like it better than Spartacus, that's for sure. But I don't like, I don't, I don't find the same charm in it as I once did. Uh, I remember in college, when I first got to college, like it was like a like sophomore, junior year, or whatever, uh, I got to my like four year university. I was watching my, My friend Evan Kimball, shout out to Evan Kimball. He was showing me a movie by Ingmar Bergman called The Seventh Seal. And Mm. he he was showing it to me because Ingmar Bergman had just passed away. And I remember him asking me, like, what kind of films do you like? And I was like, oh, man, I love, like, Tarantino stuff. I love Kevin Smith stuff. At the time, I had a very basic understanding of, like, filmmaking and, like, basic, like, film... I was a basic film nerd and he was like yeah those are okay like Scorsese's okay he's like but once you see the true greats it's hard to it's hard to look back it's hard to like go back to Kevin Smith after you've seen the yeah. seventh seal and to me that's kind of where this film falls where like it's not that it's bad it's it's that once you've seen the great stuff or the potential you're like oh this is just kind of Dull in comparison. Yeah,
0: there's something to the fact that like it got to a point where Kubrick was just like, "Ah, let's just fucking not release it. Yeah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) where he was like okay with that. It sort of says something. It doesn't, you know. I another thing I wanted to bring up real quick uh, that I realized is it doesn't have like the nuances uh, of his other movies where I'm like, damn, like. Check out that like thing in The Shining. Like The Shining is like a perfect movie for me because you can look at it, you can watch it th- a, a, a thousand times and never see it the same way. Like you can look at like certain things. Like man, look at like the like the artwork hanging on the wall. Like the mm-hmm. like the rug. Like what happens with the rug in the in the like lobby of the hotel or whatever. Uh, even in like two thousand one or like the like sort of like the subtlety of the comedy. Uh, in in *Strange Love*, where you can watch it over and over, this movie is just like there just isn't much of that in this movie, really. Um, the yeah. only little like Easter eggs that I know of is, I guess there's like there's some like 2001 like nods. Like I think there's a record of the 2001 soundtrack somewhere at some point, um, but I, I I don't know. There's uh, yeah, I don't know. So. Uh not my favorite Kubrick movie, but uh it was a joy to to revisit uh Clockwork Orange uh in this in this context. And Jeremy, why don't we sign off for this episode? What yeah, you let's do it. Uh, all right, so uh patreon.com slash Eric and Jeremy, uh take advantage of that one dollar pandemic special while it last. And Norma, I'll see you in my dreams. <laughs>
1: Love it.